Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, everyone. It's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola, and Laverne. Today... I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ Network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun and see you later. You know, Helen, I just remembered I'm not available to come to your house for dinner. So, uh... <laughs> Oh, what a shame. What a shame. You'll pay for that. <laughs> Rusty Quill presents Enthusiasm. Hello, friends and fans, and welcome to Enthusiasm. I'm your host, Helen Gould, one of the best Rusty Quillers. Today, we're talking about my absolute favourite, best pet subject, wonderful fan thing, Hannibal, the NBC show. And I am absolutely stoked to be joined by Gavia, Jeffrey, Marissa and Tessa. I shall now allow them to introduce yourselves. We are going to go alphabetically as always. Gavia, that means we're starting with you. Can I have your name, pronouns and something about you? What do you do? Well, I'm Gavia Baker-Whitelaw, she, her, and I host the podcast Over Invested, which is a film podcast. And each week we talk about a movie that we find really interesting and kind of analyze its pop culture impact and the qualities of the film and so forth. Um, I'm also a staff writer at The Daily Dot, where I'm a film critic and kind of geek culture fandom journalist. And I also have a newsletter, which is called The Rec Center, which is fan fiction and fandom and fanfic recs, which has been running for a few years. I did not know that. Okay, I'm going to write that down. The <laughs> Rec Center. 
cool. Thank you. Next up, Jeffrey, tell us your pronouns and who you are and what you do. Hello. My name is Jeffrey Nils Gardner, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm one of Rusty Quill's mastering editors, which means you hear my name at the end of lots of episodes, but it's slightly mysterious as to what I do. <laughs> well, we appreciate you. Next up, Marissa, please can we have your pronouns and tell us who you are. Sure. My name is Marissa Ewing. My pronouns are she, her. Um, mostly I do dialogue editing for Rusty Quill, though I have done some sound design. I tend to do very random audio projects, so sometimes I'll be on RQG, sometimes I'll be doing ads, and sometimes I'll be editing Enthusiasm, possibly this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Tessa, can you please introduce yourself and your pronouns as well? Yeah, of course. Hi, everyone. I'm Tessa Vroom. I use she, they pronouns, and I do sound design for Rusty Quill. I've been working on Rusty Quill gaming specifically for about two years now, and I'm very excited to start doing vocal cuts for Enthusiasm. I hope Marissa gets this one, though, because I do not want to edit my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> And that is why I wanted to move on, because we actually have like three of the editing team for Enthusiasm on this Enthusiasm episode. So I hope it is a nice, smooth edit for you all later if you end up on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Let's get in. Let's get into talking about, about the lads. Okay. Firstly, I would be interested to know how much we each knew about Hannibal Lecter before watching the NBC show. Would someone like to start? Because I know I had watched The Silence of the Lambs and I had read the books, but it was a very long time ago. So I I had forgotten most of it by the time I saw the TV show. How about the rest of you? Well, for some inexplicable reason, when my friends turned 11, I had a pair of twin friends. For their 11th birthday party, their parents said, what movie should you all watch for this sleepover? And they said, let's watch Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal. Oh, no. <laughs> well, it was an interesting kind of example of how adult ratings work, which is that a lot of the time the adult rating is just to let you know that kids aren't going to be interested. Because mm. me and the squad of 11-year-olds watched Silence of the Lambs, which I thought was incredible. And I was like, it's time to watch Hannibal immediately. And they were like, that film was so boring. And then they all left. And I think I watched like half of Hannibal and then went to play with my little friends. But um, I thought it was fantastic. And then when I was a little older and found a copy of the Hannibal books in a charity shop somewhere, I read them and was just like, this is tremendous. That was, you know, my equivalent of like Twilight as a little tween. <laughs> yeah, I remember I got my Hannibal books from the library. I feel like these parents are looking at the Silence of the Lambs and thinking, well, that's a that's a weird follow up to Babe Pig in the City. But sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think they were just like, well, it's fine. Kids can watch adult movies. And it's like, well, sometimes they probably shouldn't, but I guess it probably didn't do me any harm. <laughs> <laughs> My mom was very much the opposite. I believe she saw Silence of the Lambs when she was somewhere in her 20s or something and she hated it so much and she was so afraid of it that for my entire youth she was like you can never watch silence of the lambs you can never watch Aww. any anthony hopkins movies you can't touch them <laughs> and i didn't even see a horror movie until i was i think a junior in high school and then i saw like the babadook and then 
I was like, okay, I'm just going to watch Silence of the Lambs because I know my mom doesn't want me to, and so I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so I've seen The Silence of the Lambs. I have not read any of the Hannibal books, but I have seen the show, obviously, because I'm here to talk about it today. <laughs> and that's the contact I have had with Hannibal. I see, I see. Marissa, how about you? Yeah, so I think, if I remember correctly, I watched Silence of the Lambs for the first time in high school and I've always been a huge horror buff but for some reason I always watched like stuff from like the 40s and 50s or stuff that came out now oh but those are good yeah but I was like I should probably actually start watching some of the like classics so that was one of the first <laughs> ones that I watched and I really liked it I don't think I've watched any of the other Hannibal movies and I've definitely not read the book but I watched Silence of the Lambs again right before I binged all of Hannibal <laughs> Excellent. Jeffrey, how about you? I saw The Silence of the Lambs for the first time probably sometime in high school mm -hmm. and then watched the Anthony Hopkins Hannibal sometime during adulthood. Uh, I think actually after I had watched a good chunk of the series, I actually just completed the series for the first time a few months ago was one of the quarantine projects. I had watched the first two seasons a couple of times and then uh, always kind of petered out on the third season. But I finally persevered and made it all the way through the third season, which is maybe a little preview of how I felt about that third season. Ooh, yeah. Okay. This is going to be an interesting, interesting episode because I actually really like the third season. Do you know what? I was going to ask a different question, but let's go straight into that now. Jeffrey, Tell me about what you thought about the third season. I thought, I felt like the first two seasons were really fantastic. Mm. And and that the third season, pretty much across the board, kind of missed for me. Ooh. I think a lot of the characters made turns that were less interesting than their kind of earlier states. I'm thinking particularly of Caroline Danvers was one of my favorite characters and then kind of fell into doing the same flat affect, I'm dangerous now performance as a lot of the other characters. Mm. It just didn't work for me. And I felt like... So this is Alana you're talking about? Yes. Caroline Danvers is the actor's name. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Alana Bloom. What a name though. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I mean, the actor is fantastic. Yeah. But I think there were a lot of things about the third season that it felt like just a lot of it was a lot flatter than the mm. first two. And, and maybe it was just that there weren't, there wasn't enough contrast between the different characters for my taste. Marissa, I see you nodding. Yeah. Honestly, I basically agree with I think everything that Jeffrey just said, because <laughs> I felt very glued to my seat with the first two seasons and was like binging it, which I never binge TV like it. I've been watching the same season of a particular anime for like three months. So like uh, <laughs> the fact that I binged it was pretty wild. And then I got to the third season was like, I don't know, not as interested except for the season finale. Fair. And then I didn't like the after credit scene. So I was just kind of. At that point, I was just ah. kind of done. I don't know if I knew there was an after credit scene. I just rewatched the last episode today as like a refresher. And the after credit scene really sets up for a fourth season. Yeah. Which then there was none. 
And I mean, even just the music during the ending where it's like saying something like, I will survive right when they, everyone has seen it, the ending, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I assume you wouldn't have come on the episode if you hadn't finished the show. <laughs> there will be spoilers. Don't worry. There'll be a content warning for spoilers. When uh, Hannibal and, oh my God, my name, bl- name blanking happens <laughs> well, real bad. Will, will Graham. Will Graham, you know, the main character, <laughs> right when they go over the cliff together, the song is like saying like, I will survive and stuff like that. And so I was just like, they're just setting up for another season, mm. even though I know it isn't coming because I know that the show is not continuing. And then they have the after credit scene and I'm like, oh yeah, they really were setting up for another season, it feels like, or, you know, a continuation of Hannibal related things. I mean, I think it really works as an ambiguous ending because you can interpret it as them being alive, but also it feels very conclusive emotionally and you can kind of interpret that song as being metaphorical yeah and it kind of i I'm, I'm very divided on whether i even want a fourth season because i love brian fuller's work and i think he's a really interesting tv filmmaker that's the showrunner and like he and the stars really want to make more and there's all these fan campaigns and stuff but like it's very risky especially when you've already got an ending like that and having seen yeah. kind of some of his more recent work i think I mean, Pushing Daisies is also fantastic, like the show he made before this, but I think it's kind of, Hannibal was almost like a trapping lightning in a bottle situation because Mm. um, he's one of these creators who has this amazing kind of visual style, which is unusual for TV, where like the visual style is usually more oriented towards the director rather than the writer showrunner. And he had this amazing vision of how to kind of reinterpret Hannibal as a character. But on his next show, um, American Gods, it really felt like he was less controlled and it was really kind of went down in terms of like writing quality and that sort of thing. So I think it's like, you need to have this person who is this incredible, like creative mastermind, but you also have to have the correct sort of producers reining that person in. And I think that's part of the reason why he basically hasn't had like a really successful show after this, even though it's now, you know, a culture of TV making where people are just getting like massive budgets through an otherwise very mediocre directors. It's like Brian Filler should have made another season or a different show, but it hasn't happened. Tell you what, we were talking a little bit about character development and how we're feeling about Alana. What do we think about the female characters on the show in general? We've got Alana, Beverly, Freddie, Margot, and Chio. Oh, Reba McLean. There's also, is her name like, Abigail or yeah, Abigail, Abigail, yeah. Abigail, the adopted daughter. Oh, I could we forget? <laughs> yes. In in my head, she's a girl. <laughs> I'm like, no, child. <laughs> child is in different category. <laughs> Do we want to talk about them a little bit? Because I think that some of these female characters are so interesting. Well, all of them are. Everyone on Hannibal is very interesting. I love all of them, with the exception of uh, Chio, who is like my one criticism of the entire show. Because mm-hmm. when she showed up, it was like, it, the way she's introduced doesn't make sense in the chronology of Hannibal's life. And it just got to me in a way that made me really annoyed. Because it's like, they introduced her as someone who knew Hannibal in her youth. And they kind of describe it as if she was the teenage maid of his aunt. So she's implicitly either the same age or slightly older than Hannibal himself. Mm. And they've cast this woman who's much younger. And because she's this cipher character, the, the role doesn't make sense in the way that other characters emotionally and narratively make sense in the show. So 
it just it kind of rubbed me up the wrong way and also because like it's an asian character who doesn't really have like a very solid motivation that makes sense yeah. i was a bit like this is the one person in the whole show where i was like this is dubious yeah and it would have helped a lot if it was an actress in her 50s but it's not so i was like mm. yeah <laughs> yeah it is a real shame yeah i think i felt like that portion of the show told us a lot about hannibal that i didn't really need to have explained mm. I, I don't think it was necessarily like oh let's make him uh you know let's feel sympathy for him because he came from a i mean i guess troubled childhood where he was the trouble <laughs> i mean he wasn't all of the trouble it's it was a little bit i was like i yeah i don't i don't want to know where he came from i want i want tantalizing little clues mm. but certainly not as much information as as kind of that character ended up introducing mm. and maybe that's also a problem and i know that the character hannibal the idea of him is the what he does to people is makes their life all about him yeah mm. but when we see it happen over and over with the otherwise interesting women in the show you're kind of like oh there just can't be women who are themselves they always have to be in relation to Hannibal and that is mm. maybe frustrating over time I also feel though like every single character in the show ends up being about Hannibal oh yeah absolutely. so that didn't bother me that much because if I think about all the characters I'm like they all ended up being about Hannibal mm. or you know, deceased because of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like this gravity well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think maybe the issue being that, like, we always see that happen to female characters. Yeah. And yeah. so it feels, it feels like it could be just blending into our general cultural inability to give women agency. Yeah. I get, but I guess part of one of the, one of the themes of the show is do you have free will? What is your agency? Can someone else take it away from you? How much can someone control what you do? So it's it. I think it would be very troubling if it was just women, but it it really, like Tessa says, it is everybody in the show. Yeah. So it doesn't weigh so hard on me, but it is a problem definitely that is replicated throughout other media. Mm -hmm. I think the big example of that where it felt odd, like again, we talked about like Hannibal kind of drawing everybody in, but the one character that I felt kind of mixed feelings about that with was Bedelia. Mm. With her going with Hannibal in season three. I don't really know how to put it into words, but like it felt like if anyone could escape his gravitational pull, it would be her. So it was very surprising in season three where all of a sudden she was, you know, on a plane with him going to another country. Because mm. I don't know, she just seemed like the one that would be able to escape him and she still wasn't able to. Mm. I always read that as it being a curiosity on her part. I think she was afraid. Yeah. I think she was afraid. And I, but I also think there was a part of her that was curious because like the way that she talks to Will afterwards about how, what's that speech about how she, if she sees a wounded bird on the floor, her first instinct is to crush it. Yeah. yeah. And there is this recurring theme of, I wanted to see what would happen. And I think for her, there's a self-destructive thing of she wants to see what will happen if she does go with Hannibal. And also because the alternative is, because he goes to her house. The alternative is, if I don't go with him, he's definitely going to kill me. Yeah. That's fair. That's so she's fair. also a survivor. Yeah. I don't know. I always felt that Bedelia was maybe the one person who was smarter than Hannibal. Mm. Oh. Um, or at least was as smart as he was, as able to move through the world. Do you think more so than well? 
Yeah, yeah, I think I think Will Interesting. And maybe part of that is that Will does try to run and and thinks he can have a different life and Bedelia says, "No, like I understand the terrible gravity of this creature and so I will go with him." Whereas Will says, "No, I can I can totally have a life separate from Hannibal and I can have a wife and an adopted child and that's not going to break bad for me." Mm. On that very tragic note, I am going to take a break. (laughs) And we'll see you after the ads. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And welcome back. So I said that we were going to leave off on on a tragic note, but we are going to continue talking about tragedy. (laughs) What you said there was you were comparing Bedelia and Will, and you said Bedelia is smarter. And I think that it's like a different kind of smartness. I think one is maybe more hopeful and the other is maybe more like, I know that this is inevitable, so I might as well do the thing that's going to Mm. ensure my safety the longest Mm. one is more practical than the other i mean i think it's like bedelia is kind of more similar to hannibal Mm. and that's part of the reason why it doesn't work out between them and kind of the whole thing that is so compelling between will and hannibal throughout the show is that they are polar opposites who kind of are drawn to each other and transform each other as the show progresses yeah and there's also a lot of class stuff going on there which there is Mm. with Clarice and Hannibal as well because you've got this figure who's this absurd caricature of this European aristocrat who's unbelievably cultured and he's attracted both to Will and Clarice because they're explicitly working class characters from the South Mm. and they're kind of behaving in a completely different way to him Mm. he finds it appealing there's this one person who's like really rude to his judgment compared (laughs) like which usually he finds a complete like it's like he will murder anyone who's rude but well kind of combines that with this incredible level of insight and intelligence and he finds that hypnotic and it really kind of fits in with a lot of um romance novel tropes and vampire romance novel tropes as well where you've got this person who's like really controlling and compelling and powerful Mm. and then you've got usually a female love interest where their appeal is part of their kind of their reactiveness and their naivety and they end up changing yeah. the duke or the or the vampire so it's like <laughs> they've kind of nudged Will and Hannibal's story from the book into that framework which is like part of the romance in the show 
That's kind of how I interpreted, like in terms of if Bedelia or Will is smarter. I think they're about at the same level, but mm. Will is definitely way more clouded by like impulsiveness and his feelings for Hannibal, whether mm -hmm. that's romantic mm. or like a sense of trying to beat him or win. And I think that impulsiveness is what causes Will to appear to be less smart because he's not <laughs> thinking as logically as Bedelia is. Yeah. And his brain's kicking. Yeah. 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 The the bit with the clock drawing. Ooh, Ooh. Yeah. It's important to also like just note that intelligence, you know, who is smarter is is definitely one of those constructed and ultimately meaningless in that it is human devised. Yes. Yeah. I will say that I think it is a show that very much believes that there are smart people and not smart people. I don't I don't think that is mm. that is maybe a useful frame to analyze the fiction with a with a cognizance that that doesn't actually track really in real life like many things in Hannibal <laughs> yeah yeah i think at a certain point i just threw away all expectations of what reality was <laughs> and maybe that's why i love it so much because i just take it for what it is i just accept everything it hands to me and i say thank you yes please can i have this much and no more because i don't want the season 4 should we talk about that? Should we talk about some of our favorite shots and favorite scenes? Mm. Sure. Because I would love to hear it. I, I really like the teacup one. I think the, the teacup shattering on the floor. Yeah. And also the flowering tea. Or or maybe it's, yeah. it's mushroom, mushrooms in the tea that um, mm -hmm. Abigail drinks. Mm -hmm. Those are both intensely beautiful pieces of art. Tessa, what do you, what's your favorite? I've always just randomly will think about the scene where Will is talking to Hannibal in one of his sessions and is asked to draw a clock while he's talking. Mm. And that we see it as normal for him. And then when Hannibal looks at it, it's very abnormal. Yeah. And I know that that's like a very common test that they do to see how you're doing cognitively. And the weird feeling that you get afterwards when you're like, why aren't you why aren't you actioning this? Why aren't you telling him? Yeah. Why aren't you getting him help? And just that the amount of doctor-patient abuse that kind of happens in the yes. treatment of Will is, is it makes me feel so bad, but like so fascinated. Yeah. I often think that I want to talk to my therapist about Hannibal just to be like, what, what do you, what, <laughs> what do you think is happening? <laughs> but she would just say, what do you think is happening there? <laughs> Marissa, how about you? Do you have a favorite shot or scene? Oh, man. There's so many to pick from, but I'll, I'll stick with two. From like a sheer cinematic point, I think the scene, even though it's so gruesome, where you see what Will did to the, I forget his name, but the like cave bear man. Randall Tear. Mm -hmm. And there was that, the reveal. I literally, I was like, this is so absolutely disgusting. But again, as someone that <laughs> loves the fall from grace trope like you can't you can't really go any lower than that like that was <laughs> that was such a good scene for like character development especially because he like didn't even say anything it was all just the shots so that was a really great scene the other one that i loved in terms of talking about the romance on the show was the scene where hannibal gave will his heart and then it starts walking I don't remember if it started walking, but it was the scene in Italy where they came upon the crime scene. They're in Florence, yeah. Yeah, that was the point where Will asked, is Hannibal in love with me? And I remember, like, 
gasping on the couch because I was like, I've been saying that the whole time and Will's finally starting to figure it out. <laughs> so that from like another character development scene, I really enjoyed that one. The, the heart in the church. Yes. It's supported on like a couple of poles mm-hmm. and in Will's head, it, it grow it, it like unfurls itself and it grows hooves. Oh, it did. Antlers. Yes. Oh, so gross. Disgusting. It was so gross, but so good. That's how most of this show is. Like 90% of it is so gross, but so good. (laughs) It's so gross and it's so amazing. (laughs) Gavia, how about you? Well, I find it very difficult to pick a single shot because I feel like there's amazing shots in every single episode. But on a general sense, I think the lighting in this show is just incredible. Like there's always multiple light sources and the color palette is extremely varied which is very unusual for tv and there is a trend for shows to be shot basically entirely in the dark and Hannibal manages to be a very dark show while also having very evocative and emotionally intense lighting so I appreciate that excellent so Jeffrey tell us about your favorite shots yeah so I want to give a very quick shout out to the kind of crucified Hannibal. Ooh, a classic. Which is just such a wonderful moment. But also the the other actor in that scene is just one of my favorite performers. And he shows up in, in kind of that role lots of places. After all of this negative talk I've had about season three, though, I think some of my favorite visuals are the shots of R- Richard Armitage's back. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. yeah j- he he does such incredible physical work to show the the red dragon living under his skin and i i think it's actually kind of a a disappointment when they cgi in the kind of demon thing because in kind of contorting and flexing and distorting his own body armitage is just a such beautiful work but in particular the scene where he eats the page from the Blake. Oh my goodness. Oh, yes. <laughs> in a show in a show that is so much about consuming and eating. Yes. It, it manages after, you know, two and a half seasons to still be deeply shocking. I have just watched Hannibal cook and eat and feed to unsuspecting people a football team mm. of of people and still seeing him just devour this piece of paper legitimately like blew me away so it's just just a cool moment i will say there's something else we haven't spoken about in hannibal which is the humor of it because i was absolutely shocked and appalled i was like that is a very old and precious piece of art you're eating there young man (laughs) but also i was pissing myself such a funny (laughs) show so funny (laughs) This so it's such a funny show, but like you have to like have already watched it once to get out. Yeah, funny it it's also sort of that brand of humor where you're like, I'm laughing at this, but it's kind of horrible, but it's also funny because like I was just watching today because I was doing like YouTube to help me do recaps of the first couple seasons that I could remember them before we talked about them. One of the, my suggested videos that of course I clicked on was like every single food pun, like eating people pun in Hannibal. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. And and so I just watched like 30 minutes of witty one-liners that are like, haha, we're eating people and we don't know it, but haha, <laughs> just throughout the whole show. The shot where Hannibal eats Chilton's lip. 
and just oh my god (laughs) (laughs) like an oyster can we also take a moment for how amazing of an actor that Raul Resparza is yes in that like you watch Hannibal and you somehow manage to forget that he's one of the most like devastatingly handsome people on the planet Mm. and in the show, he's so snivel and gross and the way he's talking down to everyone in a show where everyone is quote unquote smarter than him. He is absolutely convinced that he is running circles around everyone and it's just he's so easy to hate and so pathetic. Mm. Yeah, I really feel for Chilton. Yeah, he had a rough time. <laughs> I will say, during the last recording of RQG, we, we were having like some technical difficulties, so I went on Twitter. I, I had just enough time to see one of the Hannibal accounts I follow tweet something with the hashtag Chili Willy. <laughs> and I was no. like, what is that? And it's Chilton slash Will fanfiction. <laughs> oh. oh, no. And I'm like, you called it Chili Willy. <laughs> will can do so much better. <laughs> It's so funny. Hey, Helen, can we talk about sickness in Hannibal? Let's talk about it now, Jeffrey. I would really like to talk about Jack and Bella. Yes. And how heartbreaking that is, despite them not actually getting that much screen time together. That loss is so achingly real. And I think at the time, Lawrence Fishburne and Gina Torres... I think they were married at the time. Really? Yeah, they were married for like yes. decades. And I think they broke up like shortly after Hannibal. So it's like they, they and apparently they had like, um they had like a really small wedding in real life. So the wedding photos they took for the show were like the only time she wore a wedding dress. And they were like, oh, it's really exciting. Um, You know, sadly they did break up afterwards, but That's a yeah. shame. Wow. I mean, incredible actors. <laughs> I thought it was so clever how at first you're just like, oh, it's another one of those couples that's like, haha, my wife hates me. Because that's what, the first introduction that you kind of get of them as a couple is just Jack going around and being like, oh, I've got marital problems. My wife doesn't tell me anything anymore. And then you realize that it's because she's sick and she doesn't mm. want him to be heartbroken or to dictate how she's going to die yeah, or, to try, to, or to try to keep her from going when she wants to and and you're like oh wow this i can't even be upset that it was the haha my wife hates me trope because that's not at all what was going on and there's real stuff backing it and it's something that we we all have in some form or another come into contact with in our lives and i want to like quickly just mention the fact that bella managed to keep this from her husband who is a detective at the FBI. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They are very evenly matched, those two. Yeah. They were such a good couple. And it was really interesting to have them as a foil to the relationship that was developing between Hannibal and Will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think those are one of the very few like actual healthy relationships in the show. Yeah. The love is so deep and so and so present and real. Yeah. And it, it, it really does anchor you in like, oh, right, this is what a healthy relationship might look like. Yes. Uh, in some ways. Obviously, in some ways not. I don't know. This may be too sad for a enthusiastic show. <laughs> there are a lot of ways in, in the last year that I've discovered, and for longer in some ways, that I feel like Hannibal really treats illness in a really powerful and real way. Mm. The, the two contexts for that for me 
are that my father has end-stage cancer right now. Oh, I'm sorry. And we got that end-stage diagnosis roughly around when I was going back through those episodes. And so I was very much watching mm-hmm. Bella and and Jack and the difficulties of how they're interacting and Jack needing to solve it and needing to fight it and sometimes helping Bella and sometimes not and sometimes making it harder for her. And and I, mm-hmm. I felt a lot of resonance in it. It felt very real. And I also felt Wow, I'm I'm so glad that I've had more therapy than Jack. <laughs> but the the I, the other piece of that is in how they handle Will's hallucinations and displacement from reality. Mm, and the encephalitis. I have a condition called uh, hypnagogic hallucinations. Okay. Which means I I hallucinate vividly coming in and out of sleep. Mm. Often they're very scary or very kind of difficult things. And sometimes I'm able to get out of them pretty quickly. And sometimes I get kind of locked in them and kind of... Yeah. Coincidentally, I had a a very long one last night that it took me a long time to get out of. And for as fantastical and strange as Hannibal portrays those in the first season, it was the first time I saw something on a screen where I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. Yeah. Like, that's very real, which was, I, I, I think it's just really wonderful that in and among a show that tackles all of these other things so well, they also brought some some real reality to those moments. Yeah, they do they do treat a lot of the characters who have illnesses with a lot of compassion. I'm thinking of um the woman who thought she was dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And will reassuring her that she's alive and that he can get yeah. her help and that those were some really interesting episodes for me. I mean, I think that's like a real strength of the horror genre rather than it being yeah, a drama or a crime drama because with horror, there's so much kind of opportunity to embrace characters' mm. vulnerableness because, like, you want the audience to feel like extremely engaged in when people are feeling harm or like afraid and feeling tension towards something unpleasant happening in the yeah. future. And everyone can kind of relate to illness in some way. And you don't really get that kind of storytelling in a lot of other genres. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call it there, though I really don't want to. I could talk about this show for hours and hours and hours. Thank you all so much for talking about it with me. This has been great. I love this show. (laughs) I love this show. And it is one of my comfort shows at this point, even though it's so horrible. Because it's so horrible, I think. Thank you as well to the audience for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I also, I hope you, the participants, have enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Of course. I'm giving you a double thumbs up, but you can't see me. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad that you have communicated that. But for now, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from all of them. Did I say goodbye? Goodbye. Enthusiasm is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike 4.0 International License. It is directed by Helen Gould, produced by Lori Ann Davis, with executive producers Alexander J. Newell and April Sumner, and edited by Marissa Ewing, Tessa Vroom, Jeffrey Nils Gardner and Catherine Ranella. Thanks for listening. 
Hi everyone, it's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ Network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun, and see you later.